Welcome to another episode of the Primalosophy Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Jack Wolfson. Jack is the author of The Paleocardiologist. For 16 years, he worked as a hospital cardiologist performing coronary angiograms and pacemakers. During these years, it became evident to him that pills and procedures were ineffective at preventing and treating heart disease and that there had to be a better way. He is now recognized as one of the leading voices in natural and preventative heart health care. Enjoy. I thought we would start with talking about your new book, The Paleocardiologist. After 16 years of working as a hospital cardiologist, tell me about your turning point where you decided, you know, no more treating patients with pills and procedures. You know, I'm going to start treating them naturally and focusing on prevention and, and targeted nutrition. Well, um, as you said, and thanks for having me on, I, um, I'm a conventionally trained cardiologist. I did four years of medical school, three years internal medicine, three years of cardiology, and then another 10 years as a hospital-based cardiologist. Uh, and, and along that way, I met the woman who would become my wife, and she is a doctor of chiropractic, as she says, a doctor of cause, DC, DC. And she said, you have to become a doctor of cause. She just said, uh, you know, the, the pharmaceuticals that you're using, the surgeries that you're doing, you're doing nothing for prevention. And uh, I listened because it, it was all true. I saw the sickness in patients. I saw the sickness within my own family and my father that would eventually die at the age of 63. And uh, whereas most medical doctors would run away from someone who said this, I was gravitated toward her and we got married. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. Okay, so it was, it was safe to say that it was a transition into sort of root cause resolution instead of just masking symptoms? Well, unfortunately, it's just we don't even understand that we're just masking symptoms. It's just it's all that we're taught and trained. It's just people have disease. It's just a fact of life. There's no, you know, causation except for maybe if someone's a smoker, you know, then we can, you know, attribute things to smoking. But uh, otherwise, it's just it's all we know. So when when it was presented to me that hey there's things that cause disease and it's you know poor nutrition and lack of sunshine and lack of sleep and stress um uh you know lack of of seeing a holistic physician like a doctor of chiropractic all those things once again just really woke me up and it's been it's been very exciting so you hear a lot about cardiologists and doctors having basically no training on nutrition i mean how minuscule is that in reality well, you know, Harvard did research on the subject and they published on this that the average medical doctor gets 25 hours of nutrition training throughout all their medical school. I can tell you that if I got 25 hours, you know, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't really remember. So such a small amount. But I can tell you that when it came to internal medicine residency of three years and three years of cardiology, we never talked about prevention. We never, once again, talked about the importance of good nutrition, about the importance of sleep and about getting rid of stress and physical activity and sunshine. We never talked about those things. We never talked about pollution, for example, and what that would mean to cardiovascular risk and health issues. So it's, it's really a sad state of affairs that, that modern medicine is in, <clears throat> and it's just because pharmaceutical companies fund medical training and they've got no interest in, in finding the cause. Okay, now when you say that, how much influence does Big Pharma really have on healthcare practitioners? Oh, I mean, it, it's tremendous, and it has been uh, for the last uh, 75 years where where it's all been this push away from 
whether it's chiropractic or homeopathic or osteopathic, and it's all been allopathic, it's all been pharmaceutical based. And from the moment we get into medical school, we're so excited to write that first prescription. We meet the pharmaceutical reps, uh, you know, while we're in medical school, they're in the hospitals, they're in the doctor's offices, uh, and they're pushing their agenda. They're bringing the food, uh, they're bringing the, the, the free hats and the free pens, and it's been well-researched wow. that even a pen can influence someone's behavior. It probably is not quite as bad as it used to be when my father was a practicing cardiologist in the 80s and the 90s. It's a little more regulated, but it's still, it's still uh, uh, pervasive in medicine. So it's almost like you have a feeling of reciprocity there. Like you're, you're almost returning the favor to them. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that that is you know, it, one of the tenets of sales in general in any industry. You know, you wine and dine your clients, and that's what pharmaceutical does to the doctors. The doctor is the client. Uh, so whether you are uh, whatever it may be, you know, whatever business you're in and you're trying to curry the favor of somebody else, uh, that's how, you know, that's how you'll do it. You'll take them out. You'll give them freebies. You'll give them gifts. You'll give them trips. And that's how it's, that's how it's been. Okay. So what do you think would happen if every cardiologist read your book or made it kind of like recommended reading for their patients? Uh, it would be just a tremendous health revolution to do that. And I do have cardiologists who have endorsed my book. I've been many a cardiologist that say, I love your book. Just don't ever say that I endorsed it. It's bad for their revenue. You know, one of the quotes I have in the book uh, is from uh, is from the book The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. It's hard to get a man to understand something when his job depends on him not understanding it. The right. cardiologists don't want to learn this information because it's bad for their revenue, bad for their income. And I learned this because I left the biggest group in the state of Arizona where I was a senior partner earning big cardiology dollars. And, you know, thinking about trying to share this wisdom and knowledge with other cardiologists in the group, they just weren't interested. Because, uh, again, it's just <clears throat> it really rocks the foundation of everything they've ever been taught. And it rocks the financial uh, stability. And people don't uh, people don't want that. Right. And I mean, knowing that, how did you go about making that leap to having your own practice? Well, you know, it certainly is. It, it was a leap, uh, you know, you know. Medical doctors certainly are not trained as business people, so kind of learning the business side of, of medicine, uh, opening up the office and getting a website and the phone number and insurance and all these different things and trying to market yourself as a holistic cardiologist, it was definitely an experience. And um, it, it took me a few years to get to that point of, of confidence to be able to do it. So, you know, I met my wife in 2005 and it wasn't until 2012 that I would leave the, you know, the, the big group. And, um, you know, I guess we can all say, I wish I had done that earlier. And I would certainly encourage anybody, uh, to do something earlier than what they planned because it's, it's, uh, I think it's a rarity, right? Uh, Nick, when people say, uh, yeah, I wish I did this later, <clears throat> you know, right. I wish I waited to act on this. Everybody typically says, I wish I did it earlier. Now, like what changes have you seen in yourself as far as like the impact on your psyche and, you know, with your decision making to treat people and, you know, heal them through food and not just throw pills at them? Well, you know, I guess in me personally, and I felt pretty good then. I feel pretty good now. For me, it's all about prevention, about not becoming uh, what my, what happened to my father. And I tell the story of my father in the book. But, you know, it's very uh, we often 
look at the movie The Matrix with uh, Keanu Reeves, and we, we and and sometimes people say that uh, that the, the movie The Matrix was not a movie; it was actually a documentary. And I feel like I'm out of the Matrix. I feel, uh, unfortunately, I mean we're we're still living in this kind of fake world that we have built. And I don't want to get too foo foo when I say this, but it's just it's just a, pe- a people just kind of walking around clueless to the realities of what's controlling them and be it government be it pharmaceutical companies be it big food big agriculture you know like i said big pharma this is what's controlling us and it's very liberating to be out of it but yet it's kind of difficult to know that uh we've got a very very difficult battle um uh presently and, and ahead of us right and i mean we all know chronic disease is a new thing you know we didn't always suffer from chronic disease as a species is this why you implement the ancestral health model and you know try to get people on the paleo diet well it's i mean it's just quite obvious that the paleo nutrition paleo lifestyle that is what uh, our ancestors did Uh, they followed that plan for millions of years humans have been eating either animals or insects for a very, very, very long time. Uh, in fact, precursors to humans three and a half million years ago, that's when they started eating meat. Prior to that, it was all uh, vegetables, uh, plant-based stuff, and insects. They've been insect eaters since, since you know, recorded, not recorded history, but um, uh, archeological digs, paleontology, uh, you know, studies, PhDs, people like William Schindler and stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that are doing research on this and it's very clear. So uh, it's about paleo nutrition. It's about living the paleo lifestyle, uh, getting outside, getting sunshine. Uh, you know, humans are the only species on earth that lives indoors. Everybody else is outside. All animals are outside. Our plants, uh, all plants are outside and we're all indoors. And, uh, you know, we're the ones that are sick. Right. And I like how you mentioned that in your book about even these mammals that you think are eating all vegetables we don't know the abundance of insect intake that they're getting when they're eating right now they're getting plenty of, and, and listen obviously it's hard to, to compare us to a cow or some other kind of ruminant animal but that being said even cows are digesting mass quantities of insects uh and uh in and they're and, and just so much dirt so they're eating tons of bacteria they're eating a lot of living uh mobile organisms uh, uh, you know, so, so when it comes to paleo and when it comes to nutrition in general, I tell people, no matter what diet you're on, make it organic. We all agree on that to get the chemicals out of our foods. That's a pretty good start. I would encourage anybody who's vegan or vegetarian to please eat seafood. Seafood is undoubtedly the healthiest food on the planet, uh, with, uh, with a close follow-up by uh, eating uh, animal organs, so liver and spleen and kidney and heart tissue, thyroid, thymus, adrenal, uh, when one animal kills another animal or, or a human uh, kills an animal, the first thing they would go for instinctively is the organ meats. And that's really been uh, one of the key factors to the development of modern humans has, according to research, been the, uh, the, the hunting of those animals and eating the organs and the seafood. Okay. So pretty much pre-agricultural revolution, we were eating plants and animals, and we were also eating nose to tail. You know, it's, uh, I mean, listen, if you if you went through all of the effort to kill an animal, yeah, you would eat everything that was edible. You would crack open the bones and eat the marrow. 
It's, uh, you know, it was just a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. And even though the agricultural revolution was 10,000 years ago, uh, if you will, call it, uh, I guess in a lot of ways, well, I don't want to say that a revolution is always positive. It's certainly not always positive, but a, a, the health revolution of what this is, the, the um, uh, agricultural revolution, still the, the majority of people on earth up until, you know, a, a few hundred years ago were still hunter-gatherers. I mean, people in Africa, people in, in, in North America, South America, uh, you know, Germany. I mean, not everybody lived in big cities. In fact, a lot of, you know, people were nomads and didn't, and they were hunter-gatherers. And, uh, you know, it's often been said, Nick, you know, that, uh, oh, I thought, you know, caveman died young. Why would the caveman die young? Like you said, there was no chronic disease. So what do they die from? They would die from trauma. That's about it. And maybe so, infection. Uh, they would die from trauma that would lead to infection. And, that, and that's about it. And, and, and really, uh, you can imagine that paleo man was extraordinarily healthy uh, and and wouldn't be dying from infections. They they would have a, an amazing immune system, be outdoors living with nature and actually would be able to fight off uh, infection pretty easily. Unless, of course, it was something where they had a compound fracture, or maybe a bone was sticking out of the skin. There'd be no way to defeat that. OK, so obviously, I mean, just look around the standard American diet, conventional medicine have pretty much failed us here in America. The you know, rates of chronic disease are, are ridiculous. I mean, one in three Americans have chronic disease, one in four have multiple chronic disease. Where did we go wrong? What are the real causes of heart disease? So, I mean, the real causes, once again, are just, it's poor nutrition, and then it's, a un, it's an unhealthy lifestyle. So uh, we can all debate about diet. To me, like I said, it's very simple. Follow the ancestral hunter-gatherer diets. And then, of course, try and spend as much time outdoors as you can. Uh, get that sunshine, go to sleep with the sun down, awake with the sunrise. If you drink coffee, make it organic. Um, if, uh, you know, once again, staying away from pollution. I mean, the, the literature on air pollution as it's linked to cardiovascular disease is just, uh, is, is, is just rampant. Uh, and, and we live in such a polluted society, and that's why people die so much younger in New York, Chicago, Boston, uh, L.A. It's just the, these are un Phoenix, for that matter. These are unhealthy cities uh, and societies, and that's really what's causative of coronary disease. You know, the typical medical doctor thinks that coronary disease is genetic, which is a joke. They think that it's uh, honestly uh, from an aspirin deficiency, a statin drug deficiency and uh, we need to get people educated and say hey listen it's not genetics we're we've evolved on this planet for millions of years our genes are pretty darn spectacular until we screw it up with an unhealthy lifestyle right so what are the real causes of you know the oxidation and inflammation in the bloodstream well, I think, you know, once again, it's just, you know, when you eat poor food, that that, that leads to the body's immune system going into overdrive. Uh, maybe that's from leaky gut. Maybe that's from uh, from uh, a leaky mouth or leaky teeth. Uh, could be toxins that are coming in through the skin or through the lungs and the body's immune system kicks in. And when the body's immune system kicks in, it leads to, like you said, a lot of oxidative stress. Tissues get damaged. Uh, leading to, you know, once again, you know, immune system cleanup and therefore eventually disease or immune dysfunction, immune dysregulation. All disease to me really is immune related. It's, it's all about how the immune system uh, is, is gone haywire because of 
poor nutrition, toxic environment. And then you take in food, for example, so high carb, high sugar diets lead to glycation, uh, glycation and many other modifications of proteins. And when the proteins are changed, they become dysfunctional and then uh, you die. Okay, so basically try to do everything that we can to reduce inflammation and immune system suppression. Exactly. And, and like you said, so you can take, for example, like a leaky gut. So you have leaky gut where things get into the body through the gut that don't belong. Immune system kicks in, inflammation, oxidative stress, which ultimately leads to blockages in the heart or it leads to cancer or dementia, you name it. So okay. we have to lead the healthy lifestyle uh, and then supplement that with evidence-based supplements, get everybody under chiropractic care. That's how we're going to be successful. So I can't let that go by. I mean, I've heard of leaky gut, um, you know, with grains and sugar and these toxins causing, you know, damage to your gut lining. But what is leaky teeth? So leaky teeth, you know, essentially when we uh, we have to recognize that the mouth is a major source of problems and people with history of root canal, uh, it's uh, you, you get a root canal because you have a tooth infection. Well, root canal doesn't remove the infection. It just removes the sensation by removing the, the uh, nerve supply, uh, the blood supply. Uh, to the tooth, but the infection remains. So that those bugs uh, seed the bloodstream, leading to more inflammation, oxidative stress, and then eventually disease, tax the immune system. So that's the, the term leaky teeth. And uh, there's a lot of holistic dentists that are out there on that bandwagon as well, telling people, hey, you know, we gotta, we gotta take care of that mouth. And that's really important to, to uh, you know, for the children and getting them off on the right foot and saying, hey, uh, you gotta, you gotta eat healthy and, uh, and take care of your teeth. Yeah. I wish I would have yeah. known that before I got my root canal. So, you know, like for people like me who have had one, you know, what, what's, what's the side effects of that? What should I have done? Uh, well, you know, if you, if you had a, a, a tooth that was infected, it, it would be best to do certain therapies under the care of a holistic dentist to try and get rid of that infection. If you cannot get rid of the infection and somebody else would recommend a root canal, you probably have to have the tooth pulled. If it's a dead tooth, it should be pulled. Uh, and uh, and then you deal with it, the consequences of it. And that just highlights how important dentistry is, how important taking care of your teeth you know, really is uh, beforehand. But there is a lot of evidence that says that uh, root canal teeth leads to cancer, leads to heart disease. And uh, uh, there's a, a fantastic movie called Root Cause, which I think everybody should see. It was well done. It was well filmed. And I think it really tells, uh, it really you know points to the story. You know, when it comes to kind of strange oddball illnesses, we point to the three M's, uh, mouth, metals, like lead, mercury, arsenic, cadmium, uh, uh, thallium, thorium, tin, tungsten, et cetera, uh, being in excess. Uh, and we look at mold, so mold exposure, mold in our in our personal home environment, in our work environment, as being one of these kind of outliers that leads to so much sickness. And is that why you recommend organic coffee as well? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you mentioned, uh, I guess maybe mold uh, spurned you on to talk about, uh, you know, back to the coffee thing, but coffee is one of the most sprayed crops in the entire world. If you're gonna drink coffee, which I'm, I'm cool with, and I'm a coffee drinker, uh, just do it organically. Just do it organically. Uh, you get everything you love, all the flavor, all the caffeine, uh, but you don't get the chemicals. And again, uh, coffee is so highly sprayed. Whatever kills bugs will kill us because it kills our bugs. It kills our intestinal bugs. 
uh, of which outnumber our cells 10 to 1. So we want to make sure we've got that healthy gut microbiome. And if we're eating a lot of pesticide-riddled foods or drinking pesticide-riddled beverages, it's going to damage our gut. Okay. So you have a, a whole chapter on cholesterol and the importance of cholesterol. Why, you know, why does ingested fat not equal fat in the blood? Like we've been told. Yeah, well, it's just it's just a totally different process. You know, what what puts uh, you know, when we eat fat, our fat is uh, uh, taken up by the liver uh, as as fatty acids and they're broken down. They're repackaged into triglycerides as uh, essentially energy for the body and circulated around. Um, and and the body utilizes and burns fat very easily when we take that in as opposed to carbohydrates which cause high insulin levels high insulin spikes stores away uh, uh, fat uh, you know and sugar into our cells and insulin is a one-way key so the, the the best way to to improve your health is to follow a diet that gets you to low insulin levels and of course that's paleo yeah, so why doesn't fat have any effect on insulin? Uh, it's, it's just, you know, once again, fat just does not lead to insulin spike. I mean, what, what stimulates insulin is high levels of glucose. So fat does not uh, turn into glucose. Fat, when you ingest it, uh, it's packaged up. It's, it's utilized very appropriately, very easily, and burned very cleanly as fuel as opposed to carbohydrates, which cause that insulin spike. Elevated uh, blood sugar or glycation uh, is, is really what's, uh, what's at play. And then that leads to high triglycerides in the blood? Certainly, a high-carb diet is linked to high triglycerides. And high triglycerides, whether or not they themselves are problematic is up for debate. But high triglycerides is clearly a cardiovascular risk factor. And high triglycerides are a carbohydrate uh, sugar story, for sure. Okay, and I don't think we need to touch on the outdated science of, let's say, Ansel Keys. Um, but, you know, why is cholesterol on the scene when someone has a heart attack? Well, back in uh, in the earlier days of pathology, when the uh, when the pathologists were looking under the microscope at coronary artery disease and coronary artery plaque, uh, what they found there was cholesterol deposition. So then it became, oh well, cholesterol's got to be the problem that's forming all this. But it turns out that cholesterol was actually there as part of the repair crew to help repair all that inflammation, oxidative stress, endothelial damage, what we call leaky heart. And uh, Ansel Keys, you know, took it and said, well, hey, listen, if um, uh, if if uh, cholesterol is thought to be the problem and cholesterol runs with saturated fats, well, I'm going to do a cherry picked study looking at different areas that say that, uh, you know, people that consume high saturated fat, high cholesterol have higher risk. And he found uh, seven different countries to go along with his hypothesis then he published on it but one of the countries he left out for example was France and what would eventually become is the French paradox and the French paradox is the French eat tons of fat they're eating cheese they're eating animal they're eating organ meats they're eating pate you know duck liver and stuff like that yet the French have a low incidence of heart disease and that's called the French paradox when there actually is no paradox Okay. Uh, the French are no different than anybody else because the problem is not the fat consumption. The problem is the carbon sugar consumption in the standard American diet. That's that's the, the issue. Okay, and obviously these high-fat, low-carb diets are getting a lot of hype right now. 
especially with the keto diet gaining in popularity. What do you say to those people who are predisposed to high cholesterol? Is it still okay for them to have a high well, fat diet? Well, I think, you know, really, I'm a big fan of testing. So test where you're at and see how you do. Test at time zero and get all your lipid markers and your markers of inflammation, oxidative stress, get all the advanced testing done and then follow a plan and recheck your numbers three months down the road. And I can only say in my practice for, you know, where people come all over from all over the world to see me that their numbers look fantastic when you follow nature. You know, I, I can say it's my plan, but it's really just nature's plan and they do very well. Uh, there are some people with, with certain genetics, uh, what's called the APOE gene, APOE44. Sometimes their numbers don't look as good when, they're, when they go to a high-fat diet. And in those people, we tend to say, hey, listen, no added fat. So don't be sucking down olive oil or coconut oil or grapeseed oil. Get the fat from, from the food, which may be our best way anyways – uh, but certainly for those people with that particular gene, you know, I guess what's different to me between pa uh, paleo and keto is that keto uh, tends to be a little non-discriminate regarding their fats. They tend to be a lot higher in dairy and paleo uh, by definition really had no dairy. And I'm not opposed to dairy as long as you do it raw. Uh, so I'm not, you know, and paleo, paleo, I think really, or keto comes under the paleo umbrella in a lot of ways because paleo can be high fat, low carb, which would be. Uh, keto or paleo can be more on the higher carb side because you're eating sweet potatoes and maybe starchy vegetables uh, and maybe more on the fruit side in season and there is room for for seasonal variation and variation based on where you live and what's available uh, you know to you uh, you know I, I think really maybe the most important thing Nick is to every time you open up the refrigerator search for the food which is the most nutrient dense the one that is the healthiest food. And, and when you when you follow that plan and keep your refrigerator stocked with good stuff, you'll do well. Right. So really, I mean, a proper keto diet is going to be a paleo diet where you minimize carbs to below, you know, 30 or 50 grams a day. Correct. Correct. And, uh, and and I don't have a problem with that, especially for for a cleanse or a short term cycle. I don't think it's a long term strategy. I don't think it's uh, tenable. And I don't think, you know, once again, uh, that, that is doable. I think that we should be eating fruit in season. Uh, I think fruit is beneficial. I think, again, eating sweet potatoes and some of the other starchy uh, uh, carbohydrate foods that, you know, listen, our, our ancestors would come across, whether it's a tomato or, a, you know, a bell pepper, uh, they would be eating some of these foods that are more on the, on the carb side. Right. So, so you recommend if someone's going to go down the keto route to maybe do a cyclical keto diet where they introduce, you know, carb refeeds to help maybe, you know, kind of feed those good gut bugs? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, for example, and, and especially when it comes to fruit and that whole seasonal fruit thing, one of my favorite things is a recipe that I learned from uh, Tom O'Brien, who's a famous, uh, you know, gluten uh, uh, guru and stuff like that. And and basically, uh, it's it's just a simple, uh, it's just a simple, um, uh, 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 app, you know, homemade applesauce. So you boil organic apples for about 20 minutes, and it breaks down a lot of the nutrients in there it also you know to make them more digestible and really helps to separate out that apple pectin and apple pectin is a phenomenal prebiotic it's an excellent chelator it's a great uh, binder of toxins in the gut so uh you know again i i, I do like uh, and, and and i'll do dairy once again it's got to be raw dairy we'll do some fermented dairy love eating fermented foods as well okay when you say dairy <laughs> so we're looking for raw grass-fed dairy and and 
you don't i'm guessing you, in the book you talk about not drinking milk so occasionally do you have raw milk or do you just mean cheeses and you know the grass-fed yogurts and so on yeah, no, we'll we'll do raw dairy, and, and and again, it's not paleo. Our ancestors did not go after another animal to milk it or make cheese, butter, yogurt, and certainly not ice cream out of another animal's milk. A, a nursing uh, animal would kill us if we tried to approach it. But uh, I do think there is some medicinal value. I do think you know I, I am a fan of whey protein. So if you are going to supplement with a protein powder. Uh, you know, I am a fan of uh, a New Zealand grass-fed whey is, is a good source of protein uh, and, and probably the cleanest source and the most researched. So I, I don't have a problem with raw dairy. I think most people tolerate it very well and uh, um, it can be used. Okay. So with that being said, what does an optimal diet consist of as far as targeted nutrition? We have we got the plants, mostly non-starchy vegetables and the meat and as pastured grass-fed animals what would you add to that well of course you know the wild seafood really stressing the organs uh nuts seeds eggs avocados eggs are often debatable you know amongst you know certain nutrition or diet you know dietetics gurus uh but the reality is is that uh, an egg is a cocoon for a baby chicken it, it contains every nutrient that a chicken needs to come to life how is that not healthy you know try raising a chicken on oatmeal uh, you're not going to go very uh far the uh the reality is is that the modern diet is all influenced by big food companies that are there to maximize profit and not our health and uh, pharma is just willing accomplices with that because the pharmaceutical companies know the food makes people sick. And when you're sick, you reach for pharmaceuticals. Right. So eggs, I don't know what I would do if I couldn't eat eggs. I mean, they're one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. They're cheap. They're still affordable. Um, but what about cholesterol? I mean, why is cholesterol still so feared and what role does it play in our body? It's uh, it's just propaganda. You know, cholesterol plays a tremendous role in our body, and we want to have plenty of it because cholesterol makes our hormones, it makes our cell membranes. Cholesterol uh, makes up, uh, of course, you know, vitamin D comes from cholesterol. When the sun hits the cholesterol in the skin, it turns into vitamin D. We need cholesterol for our digestion. We cannot live without cholesterol in our bodies. And uh, unfortunately, it's just been vilified, but uh, the reality is, is that there is no... Uh, the best research and the biggest trials where they do meta-analyses on 350,000 people show there's no link between cholesterol consumption and cardiovascular disease. So uh, uh, go ahead and eat the healthy cholesterol-rich foods. Okay, so if you're not eating enough fat or getting uh, cholesterol or taking statins, then you're going to have issues with vitamin D? Oh, um, undoubtedly. Okay. Undoubtedly. And people How with the highest show? levels of vitamin D have the lowest risk of everything, so make sure you get plenty of sunshine. What what link is there with cholesterol and testosterone? Well, basically the the uh how we make testosterone comes from cholesterol so when the testes want to make more testosterone they call out to the liver send down more cholesterol and the ldl bus takes off and drops off its passengers uh and the passengers uh, that we're talking about here is our cholesterol and cholesterol molecules are then converted in a multi-step process which takes uh, different enzymes and and different uh cofactors and vitamins and minerals to make all that happen uh, and that's how we make testosterone. So when you uh, drastically lower your te uh, your cholesterol levels, you're going to run the risk of having low testosterone as well. So uh, I think it's uh, I think it's clearly a problem. And when I see people with low testosterone, one of the first things I do is tell people to go to a higher fat, higher 
cholesterol uh, diet, and it, and, uh, it very often works uh, to do so. There's other factors involved, but uh, very often it works. You see a lot of guys in the fire service who come back you know, with results from their doctor, they have high cholesterol. What markers should they be asking for from their doctor? You know, what are the real concerns? Is it like a triglyceride to HDL? What is the most important in your opinion? Well, I think, you know, the reality is, is that is that there's a lot of what's called 1970s tests that are out there. 1970s tests when my father was in practice and, uh, you know, total cholesterol, total LDL, total HDL, triglycerides. Those are just the basics. We need to get much more advanced. So we need to look at numbers like uh, uh, ApoB, ApoA, those lipoproteins. We need to look at LP little a. We need to look at markers of inflammation, HSCRP, myeloperoxidase. Uh, uh, phospholipase A2, we need to look at vitamin D, we need to look at homocysteine, we need to look at advanced thyroid, we need to look at leaky gut panels, heavy metals, levels of glutathione, intracellular nutrients. There's so much available to us uh, and we really should see where we're at. I mean, certainly for a firefighter who's exposed to so much environmental pollution um, uh, on the job, it's very important to have high levels of glutathione. And you need to learn about glutathione. Glutathione, again, is the body's main antioxidant made in the liver. So you need to give your body the tools to make glutathione. And then glutathione binds on to these toxins in our lives and then it flushes them out the other side. So uh, getting tested for glutathione is important, especially intracellular. One of the tests on our website is called the Vibrant Micronutrient. And it looks at vitamins, minerals, and it also looks at things like intracellular glutathione. And that's uh, very important to overall health and wellness. What's the average doctor going to say when you come to them and ask for all of these tests? Yeah, they're going to say they don't, they've never heard of them. They're going to say it's not necessary, but uh, that's their problem. You need to find a doctor who understands this stuff. If not, come out to Arizona and I'll see you. Absolutely. Okay. And, and would you say maybe find a functional medicine doctor locally if there are one? Yeah, ideally, I mean, you know, of course, you know, staying local is always good. Uh, but, you know, you know, three quarters of my patients come from outside of Arizona. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the only functional cardiologists in the world, if you will. I happen to think I'm the best of the bunch okay. uh, because there's just not a lot of competition. There's I'm pretty hardcore in 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 my in my personal life and how I live. And then also in my in my practice and my patients get get results. So it's uh, it's exciting stuff. People with high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, cholesterol, coronary disease, coronary plaque, uh, atrial fibrillation, cardiomyopathy, heart rhythm disorders, and uh, pollution is a major factor, as big as anything else. Right. So it's definitely a holistic approach. Let's talk about exercise. What form of exercise is best for health and longevity? I think uh, the best thing uh, is is high uh, high intensity interval training. Uh, you know, kind of CrossFit type stuff. I, I think is fantastic. Uh, the the idea of getting on a treadmill at the same speed and the same incline for 45 minutes while you're watching television, that's not healthy. I love getting outdoors. I love outdoor activities, hiking, biking, kayaking, stand-up paddle boarding, outdoor swimming. As much as we can get outside, the better off we are. Gardening. Uh, uh, just Once again, just as much as we can be outdoors, no matter what the weather is, that's that's going to be the most ideal thing 
But, uh, you know, this kind of like marathon running and, and stuff like that, I don't think it's healthy. Uh, even triathlon, I don't think offers enough, you know, variation and much of, you know, kind of that high intensity where you, you know, burst activity, lower, you know, lower your heart rate and, you know, in re relaxation and those up and downs. And, of course, that's most paleo-esque. We would uh, pick up a bowl and throw it over there we would be fighting each other we would be uh, getting water and doing heavy hauls and things like that or building shelter uh, that's what we would do we wouldn't be like on the treadmill watching CNN for 45 minutes that's that's not healthy so lots of low-level aerobic activity um, unstructured play favor high intensity interval training and sprinting over the steady state cardio right no doubt, you know, push-ups, pull-ups, squats, lunges, uh, find a good local CrossFit gym or something that's similar uh, to it. Uh, I, I've gotten into CrossFit. I know a lot of people are into it. Uh, and and uh, I, I jumped on the bandwagon somewhat uh, recently, and I feel phenomenal doing it. There's like a great camaraderie amongst uh, the class. Uh, there is um, uh, just you know, a lot of variation. I think it's it's made fun, so it's exciting to go to it uh, as opposed to kind of slogging it through the gym. I love the idea of getting a personal trainer, somebody who you're accountable, you know, to uh, ideally maybe even a friend who's got some experience more than you that can help guide you and and keep you on task. Do you use heart rate variability in your practice? Uh, I do. I, I do. I think heart rate variability is a great measurement. It's another tool that we can use to determine how healthy somebody is. In addition to the blood work, I do salivary nitric oxide test strips to make sure they got a lot of nitric oxide. I like uh, heart monitors. I like heart rate variability for short term. I don't like like living with like something, some electronic on my watch or, you know, some electronic device as my watch shooting off all these uh, electronic signals. Uh, but I think heart rate variability can be useful uh, to determine how someone is progressing and really to show the person, hey, listen, uh, we've increased your heart rate variability. Studies show people with the highest heart rate variability have the lowest risk of everything. Uh, so, so, so we can use it there. I think it's a tremendous tool for firefighters to let them know when they're overstressed and overworked and to take it easy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think, listen, is that, uh, you know, if we're if we're spending a long period of time really huffing and puffing, that's not good. Uh, I, I think if I had any advice to to firefighters, it's it's to make sure you get your sleep, which may not be obviously easy when you're kind of always on a job and you're always thinking, you know, the bell's about to ring. But uh, uh, stress or I'm sorry, sleep. Uh, you know, people often point to food as being the most important thing, but there's uh, sleep is definitely more important than food. It is much more important to get quality sleep than it is quality food. It is much more important to live a in a quality environment as far as low pollution, low chemicals, etc. As much as you can control. Uh, than it is the food. It's much uh, more important, I think, to get out in the sun than it is the food. I think food is really kind of lower down on the scale uh, when it comes to health and wellness. I mean, sleep deprivation in, in every study is just catastrophic. Right. In my opinion, sleep deprivation is the number one health concern in the fire service. But what you see as these line of duty deaths um, increase every year is, you know, it's all linked to cardiac events. What role does sleep deprivation play in poor cardiac health? 
Well, sleep is a time for recovery. Sleep is a time when, when, you know, when your immune system is allowed to repair the things in the body, whether it's your heart or your lungs and your liver. Um, sleep is a time when, when blood sugar, you know, gets under control. Sleep is a time when our muscles, you know, it, you know, repair and rebuild themselves. And if you're not sleeping, you're not getting that. And then I think the other thing is that when you're not sleeping, you are reaching for lousy food, typically. Uh, when you're not sleeping, you're in the artificial light and the artificial light uh, coming from uh, uh, fluorescent bulbs and LEDs uh, are so damaging to, to the body, uh, decreasing melatonin production, for example. And when you don't have melatonin, you're done. Melatonin is very anti-inflammatory. Melatonin is the hormone secreted by the brain to control the rest of our hormones. So everything gets uh, out of whack when we're not sleeping. Right. So our ancestors, they went to bed two to three hours after sundown. They woke with sunrise. Um, now we have all this artificial light. So some things that we can can do that are in our control as firefighters. Obviously, someone has to be up at night. Someone has to be ready to you know respond to these emergencies. But what we can do off duty to kind of reduce some of the damage is have an optimal sleep routine. So, you know, a cool, dark, quiet sleeping environment. Um, what else can we do to kind of reduce some of the damage following a night of poor sleep? Well, I think, you know, once again, you um, uh, you try and get the sleep when you can. You know, listen to me, I was a hospital-based cardiologist and I spent a lot of nights on call. It's, it's just not a healthy lifestyle. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's ever said that being a firefighter, right, uh, was a healthy uh, necessarily career choice. You did it for different reasons and, and, and thank God for that. But um, uh, really trying to do what you can control. So maybe you can't necessarily control your work environment, but you can control what you put into your body. And is it organic coffee? Yeah. Is it healthy, organic paleo foods and free range grass fed meats and wild uh, seafood, nuts, seeds, eggs, avocados, and coconuts, you know, vegetables and fruit in season. Can you do that? Can you minimize the pollution in your own house? Can you try and minimize the stress in your life? Uh, can you increase your outdoor physical activity? Control what you can control. Uh, the average time people go to sleep in the United States is midnight, and that's a death sentence. So when you are not on a, a night shift, just like you said, Nick, uh, get to sleep with the. Uh, I would say it's it's really it's shortly after sundown. Uh, you know when you're when you're camping, for example. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. You could be sitting by the campfire and sipping on beer or wine or tequila and smoking a cigar. You could be, uh, and, but most people, when they go camping, the sun goes down. That's the time to go into the tent. You know, the chickens go up into their roost. The animals settle down for the night. We should be the same. And actually, we should wake up before the sunrise and watch the sunrise and get all the benefits from the morning sun, the noontime sun, the afternoon sun. That's how we want to do it. Right, so the, the sunshine during the day is almost just as important as the reducing the, the artificial light at night. People that get the most amount of sunshine have the lowest risk of everything. Embrace the sun. Embrace Absolutely. the sun. You so know, you said you were on call for a while. What would you do to prepare going into one of those nights? Would you try to nap? Uh, you know what? I mean, it's, uh, I would love to say I would try and nap. I mean, but listen, I got, uh, you know, I'm married and I got children and there's not much like nap time, especially when we were working, you know, up until, up until call started. So there really wouldn't be much uh, time for any naps. I love naps. I think nap is a great strategy. I think cultures around the world, uh, nap and, uh, and I think it is, it is valuable, uh, you know, to do so. Uh, otherwise, you know, like I said, as far as, you know, prep work for it, uh, I do think, you know, once again, just, uh, you know, 
I mean, and also, uh, you know, meditation, uh, spiritual work, uh, um, uh, the mind-body connection, all that stuff should be embraced by everybody is very, very, very important and very healthy. What does your meditation practice look like? Uh, uh, I, I'd like to, I would like for you to delete that question. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not a good meditator. I recognize it as healthy. I want to do it. I will embrace it. Uh, I've been to a course by, uh, by, uh, by one of the Wim Hof trainers. And I think that, uh, I think that it is very important. Uh, it is, uh, it's just a matter of like anything. It's just a matter of finding the time. And, uh, I do think that those who find the time get great value out of it. So, uh, maybe I'm not the best guide in this arena to do so, whether it's, uh, uh, deep breathing or getting an app on the phone or alternate nostril breathing. Every time I do alternate nostril breathing, you know, and I do this for patients, how it really cranks up parasympathetic tone, like you said, increases heart rate variability. I think it's a great strategy. Okay. Yeah. That's new to me. I'll have to give that a shot. Do you have any other stress management techniques? Well, I think, you know, most importantly, get the stress out of your life. You know, if there's family members, if there's friends, if there's people that are really non-congruent with where you're at, uh, get rid of them. Um, you know, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, I, I heard this recently that, uh, you can have, you can have family and you can have relatives and family are the people that are like, you know, me familiar, the people that you're really close with. I mean, and, what, and that could be friends and that could be a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or a child. But if these people are really just kind of relatives in your life where it's just like, you know what, I don't resonate with that uh, you know, maybe with my father, for example, or with my mother, and therefore I will consider them a relative uh, and uh, relegate them to a distant, uh, a distant part of your life because, uh, you know, family, friends, uh, stress is bad. Stress is really, really bad, and we need to do our best to get rid of it. Otherwise, we're going to suffer the consequences. So again, it's just getting to the root cause and trying to remove them. You know, I mean, I have a whole chapter in my book. Uh, it's called One Nation Under Prozac, and it's about uh, about getting rid of the stress in your life. And the answer is not Prozac. The answer is uh, getting rid of the, the stress. So let's talk a little bit about poisons and toxins. You know, you have your documentary series, uh, Finding Healthy. So what are the main toxins that we should be concerned about and what can we do to avoid them? Well, yeah, really, I mean, it's just that, you know, it's the pollution outdoors and the pollution indoors. And that can come from laundry detergent, fabric softener, dryer sheets, colognes, perfumes. In short, what I would tell people, Nick, is that uh, everything you bring into your house, is it toxic or not? Just think about every single thing that you bring into your house. And if it's toxic, uh, don't bring it in. Uh, and that could be new flooring, new paint, new furniture. That could be, again, uh, laundry detergent, fabric softener, dryer sheets, uh, Glade plugins, all those things. We need to get rid of it. Okay. And do you have any advice for firefighters who have been, you know, just coming out of a fire? You know, we're forced to take hot showers to try to help, you know, remove some of those carcinogens immediately. But what about like sauna use? Yeah, I think sauna, I think, is uh, beneficial, uh, you know, to that. But I think really it's just all those strategies that can help increase uh, uh, glutathione. So I guess if it was me and I was in a fire uh, and I came out of that, probably the first thing, I mean, obviously hydration and making sure all your pathways of detoxification are open. So skin, uh, bowel, 
you know, and, and, and urine, making sure you're flushing all that stuff out as much as possible. I'd probably get a massage to help get all those toxins out. And I'd probably go for intravenous therapy to, uh, with, with things like glutathione to make sure that I'm really ramping up glutathione levels and then also taking a lot of glutathione booster supplements. And I talk about, about that a, a lot of my website. I, I don't want to give like a shameless plug here for one of my products, but I've got a product called Daily Defense, which is a New Zealand grass-fed whey protein shake mix with a lot of other things to help crank up glutathione, phase one, phase two, liver detoxification. That's really what it's all about. Okay, are there any other precursors besides the whey protein to glutathione production? Well, uh, uh, N-acetylcysteine is, uh, is, is, a, uh, is an amino acid that can be used to build up uh, glutathione. Uh, but, uh, you know, glutathione is made from uh, three uh, amino acids, and that's uh, cysteine, glycine. Um, uh, and I'm blanking on the, the third uh, molecule for that, maybe glutamine. But... Um, uh, in that scenario, you know, once again, you want to make sure that you're taking, uh, you know, those good proteins in that can help build glutathione. But I think, uh, you know, and once again, uh, things that help to recycle glutathione, vitamin C, vitamin E, uh, alpha lipoic acid, those are good glutathione recyclers. But like I said, get your level of glutathione tested. We got the vibrant micronutrient test on our website that looks at in serum levels of glutathione and intracellular levels of glutathione. Intracellular is where the action is, and that's why you got to get tested. What effect does alcohol have on that glutathione? It diminishes it, and so does uh, and so the acetaminophen or Tylenol is a major, major, a major glutathione destroyer. Um, uh, you know, just living an unhealthy lifestyle, any kind of uh, oxidative stress uh, damage that's occurring with the body is going to utilize uh, glutathione and, and uh, damage glutathione. I'm not an alcohol fan. I love alcohol as far as the taste. Uh, I love how I feel after a drink or two. Uh, it's just not healthy. So uh, I don't do it that often. So what is your drink of choice if you are going to have a drink? Uh, I, I have, I, I like organic tequila. I like organic wine. I like uh, gluten-free beer. That would be kind of like, uh, you know, my, my choices uh, of beverages. Right. And also alcohol really negatively impacts your sleep and firefighters need their sleep. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, alcohol. I mean, obviously, listen, firefighters are under a lot of stress. A lot of times people reach for alcohol for stress or for chronic aches and pains. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, alcohol has kind of been billed somewhat as, as heart healthy. Uh, and uh, I don't believe it. So um, you know, our ancestors didn't drink alcohol. I think it's a I think it's a sugar addiction as well. Uh, and I think it's best to be avoided. You know, I mean, I think if people are drinking one to three drinks per week, I'm cool with that. Okay. This is a little bit off topic, but can you just touch briefly on what your writing routine looks like? My writing routine. Uh, thank you. So, you know, I mean, listen, I, I think, uh, you know, there's a really good book called, uh, uh, which I never read before the book, but it's called Deep Work by uh, an author by the name of Cal Newport. And what he basically says is that there's so many, you know, distractions that are going on in the world and we're always checking email on the phone and what's happening, you know, uh, you know in, in, our, in our lives that we never get into that period of deep work. So what he talks about is really setting aside big chunks of time where it's just you and whatever project you're trying to do. And that may be trying to build a shed in the backyard for your tools, or it may be what, you know, writing a book uh, and, and really just kind of honing in and getting into that deep period of work. Because with all those different distractions that are going on, you'll never get anything accomplished. So you got to really set, you know, aside a chunk of time to accomplish your goals. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's, and it's just, yeah, unfortunately, there's just, um, you know, we, we're all, we all are really 
we're all dopamine addicts and it's just like every time you check you know your cell phone and uh you know or online or who emailed you and you're just kind of like uh constantly searching for this next high and um uh, and we need to if, if we're looking to accomplish anything we need to get out of those behaviors they're very destructive and it's very 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 destructive for children children should not be on technology children should not have a cell phone unless it's to be used in emergencies only they should uh, uh, no child two years of age or under should ever be in front of anything electronic and that's including a television so what's it all for with that being said i mean we all want optimal health but you know, once you achieve that optimal health, what does it mean? Well, what it means to me is that I don't want to die like my father did. My father died at the age of 63, and he missed out on his grandchildren. He missed out on the success of, of his children and, and of his grandchildren. He missed out on so much. But uh, you know, his, what, what happened to him created the man that I am today, and I think I'm a, I'm a game changer. I think I'm a disruptor to, uh, to, uh, to pharmaceuticals and toxic food and toxic lifestyle. Uh, so, so that created what I am today, but, uh, you know, my, my goal is to be healthy for my children and, uh, hopefully future grandchildren. Uh, uh, and that's, that's very motivational for me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, your book is great. There's so many actionable takeaways in there. My last question for you is what are your daily non-negotiables things that no matter what will always get done? Uh, you know what? Family to me comes first. Family to me comes first. I'm, I'm fortunate where I'm in the situation where I can make the boys lunches before they go off to school. They go to a Waldorf school. And for anyone who's not familiar with Waldorf methodology, I would encourage you to check it out. Um, I, uh, I drive my, my kids to school. I typically pick them up from school. I spend time, you know, with the baby. Um, but at the same time, I also uh, like to get in my, my medical reading. I like to get in my writing. I like to post things to social media to be able to spread the word. I like creating videos. Um, and, uh, I, I, and once again, I, I, always, I always try and spend some time outdoors, whether it's five minutes or five hours, uh, soaking up the outdoor environment. I think that's really key. Beautiful. So where can people go to keep up with you and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, uh, our website is called thedoctorswolfson.com, and doctors is abbreviated DRS. And if you go to the website, actually, uh, you can get a free copy of my book. Uh, there'll be a little pop down, and, and uh, all you got to do is pay for shipping and handling, and we'll send you out a copy of the book. makes a great Father's Day gift, just as it made a great Mother's Day gift previously. Uh, really just tremendous, like you said, easy, actionable solutions. We're also on social media, Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, Twitter uh, as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, listen, as you know, Nick, when you say controversial things, sometimes those entities like social media uh, tend to kick people off. We've been kicked off Pinterest, kicked out of Vimeo. And uh, wow. you, you never wow. know what the future is going to bring. So, you know, when you tell the truth, um, uh, it's it's a revolutionary act and sometimes you pay for it. But uh um, I'm here to change the world. So there you yeah. go. So thanks for coming on the show, Jack. I appreciate it. Hopefully we can do this again. Anytime, Nick.